Hey there, and welcome to the Six of Swords. This is the Six of Swords, episode nine. On our show today, we have SMQAI or AISMQ joining us. He is a genuine scholar of all things strange and dimensional shifty, if you will. We get into a lot of talk about the Mandela effect. I know you're surprised to hear that. But uh, yeah, this is a really good show and you'll enjoy it. The uh, only thing I have to mention besides that we have a Six of Wands coming out soon in the second decan of Leo, keep an eye out for that, is that this is the place in the show where the donations that are $200 and above per the value for value model will be mentioned. And with that, away we go. Hey, welcome back to the Six of Swords. This is your host, Occult Fan, and today we have a very special and very dead since 2012 guest, SMQ. And SMQ AI has been researching the Mandela effect for three years. The process has led him to move into the clandestine articles that range from the multiverse to the UAP slash UFO confirmation process. Buddy, how are you? Good man. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, dude. I, I, you're, you're, you, you were on my, you were on my. This is going to. I, I I've had a, I, I, I've had a few good ones uh, recently, and this is one of them. Uh, we've already done it, obviously. I just, I called it before we started. Oh yeah, awesome. <laughs> it's an auspicious way to cross the threshold. That's great, man. So that being said. Um, what's, uh, what's been like something that's lately sticking out to you. That's kind of feeling like it's ramping up or really rearing its head. What do you want to, what do you, what do you say? Uh, do you mean in terms of like uh, the Mandela effect? Are you talking about cycles or, um, the UFO thing? I mean, uh, did, did you mean anything specifically or? I, I asked it that way so we could kind of go for like where where you were drawn to it because it is a nebulous like that could be like archetypes it could be like bands you know what I mean so yeah yeah I see what you're saying well it's kind of strange actually what's been ramping down was my numeric synchronicities they've been ramping down and that's been very strange to me because I've had numeric synchronicities for years and years and years and what's been ramping up is um, actually uh, different kinds of symbolic Mandela effects that it takes uh, you know, years and years in, into the study and the research of it to kind of understand it, I think, is probably where I'm at with it right now. It almost sounds like archetypes are changing rather than just like book titles. It, it could be so, um, and that would make a lot of sense, and that's probably a good way to put it. I mean, we were... Recently here, we were talking about, you know, one of the staples of, of uh, SMQAI is we talk about the white sun. And it's kind of one of the things that we use as a, a barometer of where you're at in the process of, you know, discovery in the Mandela effect. And um, recently we started to talk about white rainbows becoming more and more of a, um, a staple as well. And there's been a big ramping up, uh, like recently, of manned animals, we call them. And those are Mandela effect animals. And we've had some really strange ones. Just just coming over the wire now is the uh, 
a pink fairy armadillo. And it's literally, it looks like a piece of sushi. It's an armadillo that's literally pink. It's furry, but it still has the armadillo shell on it, if you can believe it. And it's a real animal. And it's been around, well, since 1825, apparently. Dude, they just plucked that out of the freaking dimensional ether. Exactly. So oh it's, my it's... God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to start. Hey, by the way, we have fucking fuzzy pink armadillos now. Literally. Oh That's gracious, man. That's nuts. Oh, my God. What? I mean, I know nature's vast. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. there's so much that we haven't discovered but it feels like that came from fairyland yeah and and the reason why you know certain things are manned animals things like this would have been trotted out and if you i'm just now looking at the wiki because i literally just picked this thing up so you're getting as my process you get to see the process go on and this isn't something that is um let's see here yeah, 1825, we're not talking about a newly discovered species. So something like this, you know, would have been trotted out whenever we were younger as a way to get children interested yeah. in, right, right. There are tools Wait, that they would like use. Like a giraffe couldn't even look cool next to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. So That's weird. What the hell, man? Like it's really like mind aids or something. Mm-hmm. It, it just and and the further you get into it, the more you see it. And um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. You can almost interact, interact with it in a way. If you if you really pay attention to the signs. And I agree with a, that. It's mm-hmm. a it's that manifested. Well, OK, so like this brings up a good thing that you were talking about in one of your videos, the UFO and Mandela effect. And you were talking about how these things can kind of. um be created because we are all part of the same collective consciousness and it's just those with the ability to use an intensity of willpower or manifestation vibration whatever right you can use different um different cultures and groups have different ways of doing that but Mm -hmm. basically egregores i mean i don't care like you know people gonna you know but that's basically egregores yes um uh, that's uh what's what's the deal what's the purpose of this introducing these funky creatures this pink guy if the if the truth is that we're all one mind what's going on now and who's doing it why and how well my understanding is that um if you really want to get into it the purpose is to um there are you know if you believe or if you want to believe it you can but what happens is there's the multiverse so there's multiple versions of reality And they are like thin sheets of glass that lay on top of one another. And each version of reality um, can be destroyed in order to practice whatever it is you want to practice. And then what happens is people shift to the next version of reality. And it's, it's very different. But something has been happening with the process when they go from one level to the next level to the next. And as they do it, um let's say like the record the grooves in the record are starting to to wear it's sort of like taking a fax copy of a fax copy of a fax copy and that's what we're getting 
Well, it seems like there's a lot of things going on there because there would be the wearing down of a repeated, almost like a deja vu thing, which I actually thought about like deja vus being different than what we think they are. And I hope we can get into that later if I can remember it correctly. But um, we started off by saying the ability for the mind to create these things. So you're saying that they're wearing down the grooves between our individual minds is that where we're going with this now what it is is you have um you do have uh, you have you have a um like a vibrational frequency that is if you could put it into um if i could vis the vet the best way i could visualize it for you is it's like a pane of glass and they decide to break it and then once that pane of glass is broken, everything that was caught that was light or frequency inside of that pane of glass, it falls into the next pane of glass. But whenever it falls into that next pane of glass, that light or that frequency in the next, uh, the next thin pane of glass, there are changes to that happen to everything whenever they do that. And so after each pane of glass is broken, there, there is some damage that is that's taken by all of us um so you have you do have a subjective reality it it just doesn't ignite until we observe it and i think that's um, a bit of a misnomer that i had for a while and that a lot of people may have when they read the gateway process when they first read the cia you have to read the document at least i did i had to read the document quite a bit to understand that i found that f quite fascinating i know that's been floating around for some time now and mm -hmm. i was very relieved because that was not something that i was led to d whenever i see a cia leak mm -hmm. i think the well it's it's, it's suffice to say it's it's not <laughs> it's not always it's it's it instantly if, if red flags don't go up for anyone then you're not playing the game right obviously so the idea is that like when you read it i was relieved to hear what was in there because the theories at least are interesting no matter the source but especially because it's the source i i sense another pink armadillo in the room that we can't ignore right exactly and 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 that's what it is why the, the document matters is it is all of the concepts and the ideas that were in the document, they note it right in the beginning. They're all occult ideas. Yeah. There's nothing in that document that's new. If you're a practicing occultist or someone who understands even, even a 101 level of esotericism. So there's nothing in there that's really actually new. I just got to um, ask like quickly if, uh, I wonder what level in the Vatican library this document's at. <laughs> if it's up here or down here, you know what I mean? Anyway, sorry. It's just a thought that came to mind. No, no, you're totally, you're, you're on the right path. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, if you were comfortable with these concepts already, you'd pick up right away. Like when I was talking to Isaac um, from Illuminati Watcher, when I was describing patterning to him, they were using their kind of language that was comfortable for that kind of audience. But he picked up immediately. They were talking about magic with the K, black magic. And if I were to talk to someone else, they would immediately call it, you know, uh, the law of attraction, or they would call it the secret. It just depends on what audience picks up on it. And that's how you know the, it's authentic. Do you think that like using like something that, uh, let's just put the quotes around it, a new ager would call the law of attraction. Would you say that's the same thing as what we would call, uh, and I, 
this is for my audience, especially in general, like the, the CK, the thing, like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. But we're talking about ill-intended otherworldly effects using either entities or just really bad juju and spell work and intentions to do bad things. And it could be evil, 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 like we're seeing with the Epstein stuff, or it could just be like the petty court, you know, corporate BS. But mm. I, I understand what you mean by that. It's just I, I need to make the definition very crystal clear that like magic is something that everyone does, but it's not that watered down. It's it's people are either on or off about it. That's one thing, but it's. It's, it's basically like, if you hate it, you're hating yourself. I'll make it that clear. Yeah, and that's, that's what I was saying, or I was trying to get across was, what I was describing was trying to explain it to an audience. So if your audience would be, um, if, if you wanted them to pick up what patterning was, and you thought the fastest way for them to linguistically understand what it is you're talking about. And if you knew that person well enough, you would use those tools. You would say something that they're more familiar with. Oh, I'm to not disparaging that whatsoever. Yeah. No, no, you're correct. It was, it was probably very effective, actually. Yeah, that's the way I was trying to get it across. Now, in terms of what it actually was, yeah, that's straight up magic. It's, it's, it's using your will and your intention. Uh, literally, it's saying it. You use your will and your intention to subject, subjectively affect your environment and your interface with the environment around you and to um, subject those to your will. So, um, and that also means for uh, human beings and, um, and non-human entities as well. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And that's why it's important to, I mean, and like I speak for myself, um, I think it's important to develop the person uh, in an evolutionary sense internally so that if you're going to wield these things that you're prepared, like it says in the document for any uh, external forces or things like that, which do exist and ignorance to that is not protection from it. Right. So, to know the darkness in order to fight it is kind of a good way to look at it in some ways. If, if anything, very simple minded, but you know, things break down to archetypes that are simple in the end. And that's where I'm coming from. It's kind of like, uh, I tr I'd be the white lodge Cooper. If I, if I had my say in, in my free will of things. Sure. And it says it too. If you, if you read the document, it says, um, and it, what it frankly says is don't try to uh, reorient reality in any radical way because what will happen to you is, it, is you will be dislocated from your existing, right, you'll be dislocated, ripped from your existing reality. So the moral of that story is basically what you were talking about. If you're not developed enough, if you're not mature enough, if you're if you're someone who is self-centered or selfish or you want to do something ill-willed it's those kinds of things that would probably um cause those kinds of rips those kinds of tears that would help that would dislocate you from the existing reality and that's what i took from it was that if you're going to do something like this on this side of the, the time space if you're not going to click out then you need to do it um, very carefully and and really it seems to me only as if 
you do it as a practice session so you're ready for whenever you finally click out. I think that Christ is a good example as an archetype because he shows someone whose actions, if anyone else did them, I believe it was also um, the existentialist, gosh, uh, it was a Camus who said, act, it was either Sartre or Camus who said, act in a way so that if everyone else in the world acted the same way, you, it would do, uh, that you would be able to cope with the ramifications of that, basically, to, mm-hmm. to butcher or paraphrase it. But basically, wh- whatever Christ would do, and real person or not, we get, right. the, we get what the anointed Messiah of this, that, the other thing, what he did and what his archetype or, you know, yeah. its archetype is. And it's anything that it did, anything that he, Jesus Christ did, could never come back to bite his ass. It was, right. it was give no shit and take no shit. You know, yeah. he passed down the tables, but he also was able to turn the other cheek when justice demanded it. Like if he knew that it was going to lead to a further violence, which is the esoteric meaning of turning the other cheek, it's not allowing the Watiko to continue. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. putting a, it's, it's using free will to put a block in the place of de-evolution and basically reroute the energy back towards evolution again. I, I think I'm not talking on my, I don't know. No, no, no. I think um, I think there's a lot to that. And I think, you know, the, the document and other documents we've read, it, it 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 does explain kind of this contradiction, but it does it very well. It's saying that, you know, if 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 you do observe something like the cat in the box, it will be alive or dead. And yet there has to be the setup for the box and the cat. And and that's the subjective universe. And that is what is um that's what's kind of the collective part of us and that sure sure go ahead you you know what the part about that that always gets me about the schrodinger's cat Mm -hmm. is that the whole thing neglects an extremely important aspect of this and that's that the cat gave enough of a fuck to even go near them to let them put it in a box in the first place Mm -hmm. there is that I stopped the whole thing for a cat joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it was a cat joke. Okay, moving forward. <laughs> this is why people tune in. Puts hand over face like Picard. Anyways, please continue. Um, I No, that's really it. It's just, you know, if you're going to do something, if you're going to do anything like that, you know, you need to really take care. I mean. Yeah, really, really I think so. Care. I think so. I mean, like. I'm interested in the occult from all different angles. And I did come in from the Mantak Cha Taoist school of things. My original was very Eastern orientated, a little bit of world myth from everything from Finland to the Nordic to the Chinese to um, what else, Hindu and such. And I, I really mean it and such because there's a lot of different influences that have just pulled. But basically, when it comes to the occult, I've never really studied um, Crowley's work inside or out. I'm familiar with the topics. I respect that. But, like, there's so much more. Well, I respect caveats, right? Obvious caveats. Mm-hmm. Obvious caveats. But, um, you know, as a historical figure and someone, I mean, most people who rail against these people, I just, I, I cannot help but for myself say, you know, don't mimic that behavior. Create something great instead. And that's what I'll say to that. But basically, like, when it comes to magic, I, first of all, didn't believe that any of this stuff was 
I thought people were crazy. I thought it was like a religious thing or like a born again fundamentalist Christian. Like he knows what he's talking about, right? Mm. But he's really in a circuit loop and something else is feeding off of his fervor and such. So, you know, I came through uh, that and then the conspiracy angle. And, you know, Mm. we all have to get over our complexes and our fears and realize that the best thing that we can do is take what tools are available and with a noble heart, and I have to say that because I come at this from like chaos magic, from Freemasonry, from Rosicrucianism, and for mm-hmm. me, it really matters that integral core turning always towards something that is higher and better and gooder, gooder. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I don't know if that uh, if that if that's putting my heart right on the sleeve there. That's important uh, to note that it is because you know I mean I. I think that there's only one way to use our consciousness and that is in the sense of Christ or Buddha or something. And it, it's, it's by no means tacky. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be in a way that's fluid and has a smooth dynamic to it. Nice and smooth, you know, like Bruce Lee, like water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Leave no trace. I got it. Yeah. Or, you know, at least leave the world better than you found it, or at least the same as you found it. I no, I totally, I like that philosophy. Absolutely. It's, it's useful. Cause like, it's like the hardest one. <laughs> it's the hardest, it it's the hardest one. It really is. It's, it's called like, if you, people be living their life, like on like levels of like, Oh, that person needs to be red pilled or this, that, the other. And I'm just like in, in you see those funny memes about like level thousand and their heads exploding and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, real Like as, as far as we, as, as far beyond the silly memes, which are just like, an extension of like a, a, a precipice of a fragment of the mind and not necessarily any practical reality. I mean, in terms of real lived experience and what we are as humans, because don't forget the internet's a great way to make us forget that we actually have real lives to achieve and accomplish things in here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm speaking from my own noticing of my tendencies and, you know, just mm-hmm. overviews, but ultimately, you know, what level are you? Not you. You know. You know what I'm saying. SMQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What level is you know the plank of uh, you know like the Christ thing again? People are gonna think I'm Christian or something. The 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 plank of wood in your eye. You know, it's like how 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 far can those people see with that? And it's the same thing as what level are they really at? Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. <clears throat> Man, we got some. I mean, it's like chaos like out there to people, but like it's really not chaos. We talk about it like it's like chaos, but if everyone could just like, you know, behave like adults, and I know that's like asking a lot sometimes, but like if we can make the conversation simple again, you know, just come directly. I I, I don't know. Like, do you think that would help? I do, I do, and I think it's achievable too. If um, it it would, I'm not, you know, I think um, you know, it boils down to love or fear, and. I think there's, but it sounds very simplistic and there's many years and many layers to get down to that. So, um, you know, choosing love is actually uh, on its face when it was first um, presented to me. I thought it was something that was just absurd. It was like, you know, um, just, I was so ingrained in fear and uh, I thought it was just preposterous and 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 I thought the word was was manufactured and that it was created by society in order to keep people in line. And I thought a lot of different things until 
I started to really understand that there are, you either love or you fear and, and um, that's it. There is even hate doesn't actually exist. It's just a, it's just a, a just another part of fear. It's the fear is, is much more powerful than hate. Um, you know, so um, I do everything I can um, at, to, to choose love. And it sounds, um, although the, my work may seem to a lot of people, I've been called an nihilist. I've been called all kinds of, you know, things that would offend a lot of people. But ultimately, no, my work is about trying to get to something that's meaningful for all understand the bigger questions whenever I can. And, you know, it's something I do in my free time, but, you know, there's a lot of other things that could be a lot more destructive that I could do in my fear time. And I choose to not do those things because what I want to do is um, at least when I look back and, and I'm going to die one day, like everyone else, I want to look back and say, okay, you know, I can let go knowing I did the best I could with the time that I was allotted and with the resources that were available to me at the time. And that way, when I let go, hopefully there will be a lot less fear and a lot more love. A lot less fear, a lot more love, and a lot less karmic ties to break through to get out of the dimension into the bardo into the next realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know about the bardo. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. The film, like, is a big aspect of the show uh, is obviously art. And that's luckily enough for people like us, film. Um, what uh, what have you have you seen um, Enter the Void by any chance? Um, Enter the Void. Mm, oh, uh, remind me what that is. It's a It's it's it's. I almost just said it's a trip of a movie, which it is. Um, this guy living in, uh, I believe it's Tokyo. Uh, takes some drugs, and then something happens, and then the whole thing is just like massive expression of the bardo and it's it's incredible so, oh, that's yeah. awesome no, oh yeah it's really i'll great. have to see it yeah um i hear people talking about like gnostic films and such and like you know i i think that that one needs to be a little more permeated into the mindset uh that's a it's really a solid one. Oh, that's awesome yeah no no i i definitely i have to see that one that i saw recently that was really impactful it was called um with robert redford uh, from 2017, it was called The Discovery. Did you, did you see that one? Um, that one is really important. They find out that there is an afterlife, and they find out that um, Robert Redford, he's the scientist that figures it out. And, um, you know, the world goes nuts when they find out that you can leave this life if it's not going well for you, and they act accordingly. It's a hardcore movie, and it and it answers all kinds of different philosophical questions, and it um, puts a lot of really great philosophical questions on the table. And um, it was a brave movie. I'm surprised it got made, quite frankly. So um, it's it's well worth the watch, especially if you are really into this quantum ideas, like the multiverse, the quantum ideas of, you know. Um, and just yeah, all of it, all of it. It's it's worth watching. Do you know the author E.J. Gold? E.J. Gold. Oh, I've heard that name before. He has this bizarre book on parallel realities. Okay. 
He uses little models to reconstruct other dimensions. Mm-hmm. And it seems totally kitschy, hoaxy, weird. Mm-hmm. But he might be on a song. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't pretend to know. But like um it's um he uses beta blockers. <laughs> so really? you can you can get his book on the Amazons and um I don't tend to do show notes with these kind of things. People listening, if you want to do it, you're an adult, go do it. Um, right, right. The, uh, the, um, but the, it's, it's exploring parallel dimensions or parallel expansions. You know what I'm saying? Parallel dimensions mm-hmm. explored, I believe is the title of E.J. Gold's book. And, mm-hmm. and exp- I mean, if it's your bag, then do that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those. Kind of things, so. That's awesome. They call the level between a dimension a brain. Is that correct? The level between a dimension a brain? B-R-A-N-E is the mem- like a membrane between dimensions. That's what the, I've seen one term used. You could look up brain, but that's uh, one term they use. Well, I mean, if they're talking about some kind of organic membrane, that would make sense. But all the literature that I've read on any kind of ideas uh, that even is remotely associated with any kind of like um like i told we talk about gateway or, or psychotronics or anything like that um it is it, it especially dealing with um either the fbi or the cia documents it's usually in terms of like calling things like a tourist or things like that so like cutting an apple right down the middle so that's that Sorry, I was making a Radiohead reference to the song "The Tourist." It's uh, the last mm-hmm. final track on OK Computer. Seems yeah. to have some relevance to this somehow, and I, I really don't even know what's. Well, so you're cutting the apple down the middle. It makes me think of uh, "Flatland" by um, Edward. Not Sharp. What was it? Uh, anyways, do you know what a "Flatland" is? Right. The flatland in terms of it's the old parable about how these triangles and squares lived in a little land. And then suddenly this sphere comes into their realm and you see a big circle. And it just gets wider and wider the circle because they can't perceive the sphere. Right. Mm-hmm. And it picks up one of the little Mr. And Mrs. Squares and takes them straight in a direction that doesn't exist. Right. Cause they have mm-hmm. way in this way. So, the way they try to explain like a quote unquote abduction or interdimensional experiences is like Mr. and Mrs. Square getting picked up into this dimension. So for them, what is like not explicable by their dimensional standards, the same goes for us in the fourth or fifth or whatever. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I, we've been toying with the idea of, uh, especially with reading different documents. Now we're starting to toy with the idea of, um, and this goes back to some of Jonathan Black's work, um, the idea of, right, the idea that perhaps at one point we call them archetypes or, you know, Jung talks about them. We'll take something like Zeus or something like a Loki and we'll say, okay, these represent archetypes that will, that mean X or Y or Z and, and, and they weren't real. Okay, so but what if at one point in time they were they were literal? Yeah, you're saying that people tend to do what you just said, except what if that's actually real? That was literal, and yeah. then at some point Zeus had broken up from Zeus. Kronos from from Uranus, and be right and became pieces of of our substrata, and then at 
at some point in time, the Mandela effect is the beginning of the breakdown of linear time and the breakdown of geography. So 10,000 years, 50,000 years from now, another civilization will look at this and go, there wasn't something called linear time. There wasn't something called a geography. What that was, <laughs> they'll say, no, that didn't exist. What that is, is a, and they'll use something that. Oh, that's is, interesting. Right. It's kind of an analogy to, to what we use for Zeus. It would and exist. They just wouldn't use that. They would have a different framework. No, it wouldn't exist at all. It's something we, cause, because we're, we're Mr. Square, like you said, and they are the sphere. So the next step would be that we would be shattered and we would be a, yet a, a smaller subset of their minds because it would be much greater because they've taken it to the next level. Mm, see, I would see it as a little bit different than that with the, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be like shattered because we didn't get shattered, right? We didn't, we didn't, we, when we turned from like the vegetative substrate and we're using just Jonathan Black's model right now, just that one. That's important to note. Mark Booth, Jonathan Black, same guy. Yeah. Well, I, I was, yes, yes. Mark Booth, Jonathan, I was simply making that reference to, to understand that vegetative state to jump to beyond that state. That that's the only reference I was loosely basing it on that just just to give a frame of reference, just to quickly get there. But I'm talking about something totally different. But yeah, but yes, it's the frame of reference of going from vegetative and now we're human and there's, there's that, that kind of layering. I like that idea. I like that a lot too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure like where we go with the whole like breaking down into further pieces. That kind of like, that kind of like, I'm not sure if I could, you know what I mean? But like, Definitely the vegetative to the whatever. I don't know what came after that pink gooey flesh pod creature with Osiris's lamp coming out. You know, there were several. There, and yeah. It doesn't have, yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about us. It could be about the environment itself. You know, it could be the idea that linear time or, or geography itself is just gone. I like how you keep joining them together. I think that's extremely and fundamentally intelligent to do. Time and math and music and geometry. I just repeated my elephant. It's the elephant's trunk and the feet and the tail. Mm -hmm. Well, it, you can't, you know, you can't put anything in a vacuum. That's why when people will ask, okay, you were doing Mandela effect research for so long and now you're doing you know, UAP research, what gives, and it's like, well, nothing's in a vacuum. When we found out and we had the round robin document, we had the end of gateway and both were talking about, you know, entities that weren't human, but they were elsewhere and yet they were still here. You know, you can't put that down. You got to follow that through. And so, um, you know, I think putting those things together are important. And I think, a lot of, I think, even the budding quantum physics world is they're getting in the trap of forgetting about a subjective universe. And they all think it, it seems to me, it's, um, it's already starting to get into a bit of a dogma of a completely um, self-centered, yeah, yeah, self, self, you know, oriented. It's like there still can be a subjective universe. And in fact, 
maybe an ungluing of that subjective universe is exactly what we're ex experiencing, perhaps. And you say yeah. part of that is through using CERN? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, CERN itself is just, they're smashing particles. Um, I think it's CERN in concert with other kinds of technology that's out there. And I think it has to do with mining resources that aren't here in terms of this time space. I think it has to do with um, the way in which those resources are being mined, um, the way in which we have the interactions with portals that are being opened, the way in which we understand now we have like um, natural and artificial um, areas where the veil is very thin. Let's but, talk about this. This is an important point and I think that uh, again, one good touchstone to use is David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Um, mm -hmm. I happen to find that this is an extremely effective. This is a, in video games, right? It's, it's super effective. Mm -hmm. I find this metaphor super effective. And it's the one of episode eight when they show the atomic bomb in Trinity, one, two, three, mm -hmm. uh, rending a hole in the veil and introducing in other um, consciousness forms or thought forms, tulpas, egregores, or the ability for these things to be more readily brought over, you know, whatever it was. I think it's a little bit of both. Some came over and some are now just more tangibly available, um, hop, skip, and a jump rather than a whole light year, whatever. So, um, yeah, what, what do you think about what's going on? Let's talk about that. Break that SMQ down for us, please. Sure. I think uh, part of it was... It could have been they, they were talking about the whole um, Parsons Crowley thing when they did their uh, Babylon working and they said they ripped a hole in reality and a UFO flew in. And if you think about it since then, even though it's a great legend to go on, um, if you think about it, uh, what that UFO represented was a leap in technology and technology has been steadily on the incline since then and because the technology has been on such an incredible incline i think a lot of people forget that um society may be radically changing but perhaps yeah. the consciousness adapting to this what the hell is going on right and i think like these later stages where we're getting things like the blockchain i think it's the it's almost it's more than just it's getting ready for a post it's a world that is going to be post Mandela affected um, and we'll have systems that are going to be able to work in an absolutely chaotic world perhaps, but also too that the technology itself, um, they act as portals and they also, uh, it's, it's, it's very own kind of, kind of an egregore, the idea of technology, the idea that it's all around us, that it's all consuming. The fact that you and I are in different you know, you know, we, we've, we've transcended, you know, geography, you know, um, think about that. That's one of the things I was talking about earlier. It's already becoming obsolete. The idea of geography, um, the idea of time in terms of jumping time zones, all of those things are becoming more and more obsolete. So in a small way, technology itself is one of those things that has, and because it's, it's, Kind of Sorry, put a facade. Ironically, that just skipped. Could you say that again, please? Sure. Technology is a thing that what? It, it's creeped into our world with a facade of being something that is helpful, something that is innocuous, something that is 
um, there to serve you, but oftentimes you end up serving it and oftentimes it, it can consume you. It can destroy you. And it's very much a, um, uh, it's kind of a very magical interaction with technology and we give more and more of it all the time. It's, it's fascinating how differently the diet of our mind is now. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think essential that like we, realize that collectively pardon the metaphor uh humanity is like a excited teenager who's just been allowed to go to college and go to a party for the first time mm. and they just got to the cocaine room and they're going fucking hog wild nuts like everything like the champagne to the strippers to the i don't know that somehow they found confetti and it is in everyone's face mm. so Technology is that cocaine and humanity is that excited teenager. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way to look at it, definitely. And it 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 consumes more and more and more and takes up more and more time and takes up more and more resources and 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 the dependency on it is I think far more profound than just um you know, our, our physical dependency or our mental dependency. I think, I literally think that it's a, um, it's a permanent, it's the permanent bridge that we have to, to um, the other side. Yeah. This really feels like it's something that's a little stepped up, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, I mean like, and the memetics too, like Rick and Morty and stuff like that. It's extremely potent. It's um, what the, what the whole thing is, See, I just did a what the what the see that's a Rick anyway. So the it's destroying it's destroying meaning. What they what the Mandela effect does is it makes it so it's almost impossible to orientate one spirit with which then to mitigate uh the realm by you you know, aiming one's will. Mm -hmm. If you can't you can't aim your will if you can't get orientated. Orientation is at the the fundamental aspect of all uh, forget even calling it magic. It's just if you can't orientate yourself, you are confused. That means everything's fused together, and you're just going to get what Alice gets when it says, Mr. Cheshire Puss, would you mind telling me which way to go? Well, I don't know which way to go. Uh, you know, um, and he says that you're, you know, you just keep walking, and he says you're bound to get somewhere if you do that. So, I mean, like, somewhere is chaos in that aspect because they don't, it's not, you know, we don't have to make that into a meta metaphor for like hope and destiny. What it is is saying simply in your ability to act, to make any meaning, you need to have orientation to have two things that can say this or that. It's okay for that to happen. And notice even uh, we don't do really politics on this show. This is not, I am, or any, any of my shows is the, the politics is not really the thing. But the idea is just like even in the mainstream, you can see how like certain this or that. You know, I'm not saying that it's good to be all the way or this or that, but a lot of those definitions are being very Neptunianly smudged. And that's, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's this or that. I'm just saying that's, you know, it's always been that way. But now in our culture, it's, it's like uh, the, the E gone from the Berenstain Bears and now it's an A or something like that. Yeah, it's dissolving consensus is what I call it. And that's why you're starting to see the lunacy everywhere and people who, they don't realize they're Mandela affected. And what's happening is, you know, if you are 
aware of that you're a Mandela effect and you're able to keep your cool a little easier. If you don't realize it, that's when you start to lose it. And I think it's because you're able to pick up on, um, you know, synchronicities or because in an odd way, the Mandela effect, it does, it does disorient you. And, and yet that balance is still there where you'll see um, symbols that will repeat or numbers that will repeat and you'll find solace in those synchronicities. And by doing that, you're able to rebalance yourself in a new way. But people who don't know, I notice they're much angrier and they're, they're more frail and they're more bitter. And, and it's because I, I think they won't, or they can't, they have, they don't have the ability to understand it. And I don't know why a lot of other people or not a lot, very few people are able to understand it and are able to balance themselves out. But the world that we see that is dissolving, you can put a political lens, an economic lens, a, a geopolitical lens, all of those lenses if you like. But ultimately, it boils down to the basis and the foundation of reality itself is becoming looser. And as it does, this dark hand of technology is reaching in further and further and further into you know, our subjective and our objective universes. And as it does that, it starts to complete its own kingdom. And we don't realize that, you know, what was once solely our, you know, we used to be the alpha predator and suddenly this thing, technology, we realize, you know, we're looking around and we're no longer the alpha predator. We, we created our own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's yet biblical. it doesn't, yeah, it's very biblical. And yet this thing, this alpha, this other, it's nothing like us. It's, it's almost as if, you know, it's, hey, you just turn your computer off or you throw your phone into the lake. Hey, everything's fine. But no, it's not. It's not I fine. Mean, some people, some psychopaths regard humans that way, though, of course. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the technology. I'm not talking about throwing people into lakes or anything. No, but that's my, that's my point, though. Like, when you talk about the quality of, like, what it is, like to extrapolate that to like the fundamental aspect of like the moral aspect of like what makes humans humans mm -hmm. like not like like that is the difference for one thing that we have that moral aspect be our yes. you know karma yada 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 you know golden rule is important i think this is important but the point is is that in that realm because that is one of the main differentiators between us and the phone chucked in the lake that would be using that tool then i would say you know it's 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 treating all beings with dignity and you know it doesn't mean you have to agree with them it doesn't even mean that you, you know, at, at the least like do your best to ignore and and not be unkind it's 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 really you know i mean to, to just keep your mouth shut around that kind of stuff and if someone's doing something wrong you don't even have to say that you just like physically intervene i suppose but that's a whole other conversation for a whole mm. other thing I mean, I, I'm talking about like, you know, stopping someone from getting hurt, that kind of thing. I don't know. Whatever. Mm -hmm. everyone, everyone should choose their own, their own path. That's, that's right. Right on. But uh, as, far, as far as the morality aspect goes, um, you are held liable for that. I mean, like, you can't hold a machine liable for anything. It's a machine. Right. And that's, that's uh, directly applicable to how we're trying to give Sophia, which is so sardonic. To call it Sophia, it's so disgusting. It really is just a symbolically disgusting act. You know what I mean? I don't mean to sound like a Christian in front of like a temple where the Baphomet's going in front of or anything. 
but at the same time, I do kind of mean to sound like that because it is an entirely disgusting act. Well, I mean, what we're doing is we're just giving up more and more and more of our autonomy. And we really are giving, we're giving it over to something that is, um, I think on the other end, there is something there. I don't think there. at the other end, there's just a, a server farm. You're talking about like Aramon or the eighth sphere. If you talk about the Steiner dark journalist kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, in a way. Room for the soul. Kind of, sort of. I'm, I'm just thinking that I think technology itself is, is the, uh, like I said, it's the facade to something. You think about this. You and I are looking at, we're looking at a scrying mirror, but because it's it's lit, we think we have the illusion, because we have a very narrow band with our eyes with the electromagnetic spectrum. But if you think about it. You and I are looking into a, scry- a black mirror, a scrying mirror, so and, we're able, and we're able to traverse, you know, thousands of miles. We, you and I, live thousands of miles away, yeah. and we're able to talk in a That's way so like John D. and John D. level, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, right? Yes. All right. Thank you for listening so far. I hope you're enjoying this. This is our midtro section. So this is the part where we will read off any of the donations that are. Between uh, underneath 199 or uh, up to 200 up till 50 or so, $50 and above. So uh, we have one from uh, Jacqueline, or uh, sorry, Jackie. Gonna have to, yeah, Jackie. Um, she says, hi, Nate. Your donation on No Agenda was a surprise. That was the first I'd heard about Tracy's death, and I'm so sorry to hear such awful news. I'm very behind on Six of Swords, but I do enjoy it when I get the chance. So this is in honor of your honor to Tracy, and kudos on the show. Cheers, Jackie. Thank you very much, Jackie, uh, for your donation in the amount of 5151. That was the same amount that I had donated to No Agenda on the episode 1155. I had donated uh, 5151 on 1155. And it was uh, synchronistically appropriate enough. It was in honor of Tracy's passing, and I was glad to be able to get that out on No Agenda, which is, of course, where the value-for-value model comes from in the first place. So, Jackie, again, thank you very much. Um, We're going to definitely soldier on now with the rest of the show, so thank you for listening, and as always, up, up, and away. Or something like that. So, we're talking about things like hidden spectrums and stuff like that. What do you think about classically, you know, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd? What do you think about the concept in general, be it in advertising or maybe mass media events to the news or music, popular culture and movies and TV and such and whatnot and albums? What do you make of uh, the usage of that? Or does it exist? What does it mean? Is it magical? How, what, what psychology is this? What do you think about it, my friend? Uh, gosh, I think um, music is magical. I think it's, um, I, I think one of the most powerful things about, uh, ma- or excuse me, music, yeah, slip there, music and movies. And the most powerful thing about it is that it's underestimated. And um, I think that's, I think it's it's really an odd tool because most of the most of the time whenever you see people talk down about music is through uh, 
is through the media. And the media is an arm of this machine, you know, of this, of this um, organic mechanism. So I think music is, it's important to me. Could I, could I give you a quick example of something that struck me and I'm glad we'll be able to bring up here? Okay. In, as I think as an example of this, the new Tool album is coming out at the end of August on the 30th, the okay. day after Liz Fraser's birthday and uh, the day after the day after Tracy Twyman's birthday, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And so this album is uh, what, they're a 13-year effort where am I going with this? Hold on. I had a point that I was trying to make about the... Um... Right, so Maynard is coming out and going on Twitter and saying what? Uh, Justin Bieber comes out and says he's a Tool fan because their album's coming out. And so here's what I think's happening here. See, see what you think about this. Their album's coming out and they're talking about how they're releasing their original demos on iTunes. They're kind of building up their from their old catalog. They released this bit with uh, Paul Damore, their original bassist, up until Anima, and how uh, he didn't necessarily enjoy the rigor and the style of what they were doing at the time, which led to their albums. And so then they're mentioning this stuff, but the, the, here's the key part. And you were talking about the media talking down on the music or... I was kind of like thinking about this. They bring up this thing where Justin Bieber says he's a Tool fan, and then the singer of Tool and uh, A Perfect Circle and Pussifer and the wine guy, right? He says something to the effect of bummer. And it's just kind of like, all right, whatever. It's just him. It's just kind of like he has that kind of, okay, so it's Bieber. But I found it interesting that it happened to be these two individuals because that brings us back to like what? Bieber wasn't famous until, or, or really since, I'd say, 2011. He hasn't really been a thing. So it feels like they're trying to create this narrative. <laughs> and I, I, I realize this is probably just a completely synthetic bickering and bantering because then his wife comes out. Apparently, Justin Bieber's married. And um, he, oh, okay. And she comes out and says, yeah, right. And so <laughs> lifestyles of the whatever. And um, he come, she comes out and says, oh, you know, he was just trying to say something nice, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, typically in typical fashion, like he takes some Mars to that and he shares uh, an old video for their song hush, where he says, I can say what I want to, even if I'm not serious, like, you know, go eradicate yourself or stuff like that. And, you know, so he's in the, they take the, the, they are wearing like the um, old um, parental advisory stickers over their uh, netherds. And they're walking forward towards the screen. And the whole video is that they eventually rip this tape off their mouth and this goo foam stuff comes out. But like the whole idea is that he shares that video. So the whole long around Harvey's barn story here is basically that they're trying to like ease the time frame into reviving their legacy the time period they're talking about was five years after so they're getting in a beef with bieber and they meeting like the figurehead of uh the singer and then he's getting in a beef with maynard's girl or uh, sorry uh what's her yeah, well, there you go maynard maynard took bieber's girl it was a thing so anyways um the idea is that it's the 2011 thing they're trying to bridge the gap between that 
time period so to kind of like fold their new album into being like hyper relevant it seems mm-hmm. like magically is the i had to explain all of that to yeah no no i i yeah i think um i think that's all part of the idea of kind of rock itself um it's not you know i it just it never it's it's not it's not doing well in the 21st century um it's not so much stuff to listen to it's an onslaught well and i think rock was meant to be pre-computer time because i remember rock pre-computer led zombination rush well i don't remember that far but i i do remember like um the 90s and you know it was a real movement kind of thing and you sort of had to know people or that the right music and where to go and where to get it and yeah it was a whole kind of like scene kind of thing and um yeah. once it really relied on the human aspect and that was really it with rock. And now that's not, that's no longer required. And also too, you had to, um, you had to have, it was really hard to find people that you got along with face to face in order to form a band. And, and also too, equipment was expensive and it was real and it was analog and, you know, all the stuff that you hear old people like um, uh, uh, Butch Vig and all those old producers and stuff talk about it. It's all I was watching. It's funny you brought that up interviews with those guys and um, uh, Steve Albini. I'm really interested in him. And yeah, his immediately came to mind. Sorry. Yeah, that's no, cool. And, and it's just, you know, there was something about that analog thing that it, it, I could see rock and roll becoming like the new jazz or something because it's, it's from a different time. I think, I think, um, and it's good. I think it's a good thing because there's tons of really great music, like preoccupations and bands out right now that I really enjoy. Um, uh, uh, Courtney Barnett and just, there's a lot of rock. There's a lot of rock out there. That's really, really dasher. There's just a lot of great bands out there right now. It's just, that um, it's there's no movement anymore to it in terms of like a coalition and and you know it's just I don't know it just doesn't have the same feel but then again I'm in a different generation and perhaps I'm only I'm seeing it from my lens so I can I can accept that as well. Well, here's the thing that we have on this show, and this is the perfect time to ask this: one of six questions. What is your favorite album? My favorite album, you mean, and I, and it had to be one, one. Okay. Uh, I guess it has to be then Never mind the Bullocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Nice. Wow. I didn't even get one. Did. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Now, if you had to open up to like two or three others, who's a, who's Desert Island style? Who would you, anything new, anything older? Um, okay. So if I had to do like, let's say like three, yeah, like even I want to make sure like we recognize like Mozart could be there up to like Radiohead's like recent stuff. So yeah. Mhm. 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 Uh then I would have to also say um well then Sgt. Pepper. Oh. Um is that a bad ooh? No, no, that's a good ooh. I, okay. I if that was an ambivalent ooh sound, that's a good it's a positive ooh. Right. 
Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Pro, oh, so let's see. Never mind the Bullocks, Sergeant Pepper, and then if I had to pick just one more, just one more that really, um, uh, if you wanted to go something outside of rock and roll, and and you know you could do something. I could say something really um, obscure, like there was an organist who was really crazy named Louis Vieran. And the organ music he did was like really nuts. And I think if people were to rediscover him, he'd probably, a lot of his stuff would fit in really well with some modern movies. Um, so I don't have an album of his, but in terms of an artist, if he had like a greatest hit, probably him. Oh, I'm going to absolutely have to check this guy out after. I'm on a, um, I'm on a musical uh, diet right now. So it's called, I'm only listening to six certain female artists, but um, mm. once, once I am out of that um, cocoon, I will listen to this guy. Absolutely. Um, and this is uh, what kind of like electronic or pr like regular organ or. No, no. He was like from the um, 19th century, I think, or early 20th century. Oh, it was a, it was an organ, like a big, you know, cathedral kind of organ. Yeah. It was very Gothic sounding and very, and it was very manic and he was almost like a almost a he took a jazz kind of chaos magic approach to it when you listen to it. I like to it. this. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, I, I get the good feeling about this, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's nuts. It's well, nuts. Thank you, thank you for braving the barrage of the first question. You have you have passed the first uh the veil. <laughs> okay. All right, awesome. Um, I'm just going to throw another one at you because I think this is uh, we're talking classical. So see what I'm going to do here. Who is your favorite classical hero? Classical hero in what context? Now, see, again, that's allowed for you to inter interpolate. Mm. Classical hero in, in order for me to interpret. Um, gosh, that's really wide, man. Um, that's a wide net. Let me think for a second because history it's too. Is, first, it's a, usually like a first thought that pops into the thing. Okay, okay. If I'm, well, I've already ruined that part because I've started to think about it. But um, <laughs> it's all good. I guess I would have to probably say um, uh, Rasputin. Right on, dude. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. What a cool choice. Yeah, Rasputin. If I got to go with a classical figure, even though he's, he's still modern, but I'd have to go with Rasputin. Ra, ra, Rasputin. Yes. He met an inter interesting demise. He did, but if you, I, there's very few books written on the guy, and he was easily the most important figure of the uh, 20th century, and no one knows about him. I mean, he... He indirectly or directly led to the downfall of Tsarist Russia, which um, created the conditions for the Cold War, created the conditions for World War II. Um, he ended a decadent um, Russian empire that was, if you read, um, I, I, I'd have to get the book's name. I haven't re I've read it three or four times, but it's been a while since I've read it again. But um, I think it's by Richard George uh, in The Life and Times of Rasputin. 
of Vladimir Rasputin, Vladimir Gregory Rasputin. Um, and it just paints a picture of an utterly decadent Russia that most people in the West do not understand and know about. And they were very much into like the most extreme forms of cults. I don't mean wow. occult, I mean cults. Yeah, like yeah, Christian. yeah. No, trust yeah. me. Um, I happen to know having to parse that word out <laughs> for people. Um, just happen to know a thing or two about that. Cough, cough, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of like just the, the, the precedent that he set, and it's, there's a real moral, a real parable around Rasputin that I think he's very important. And yeah, definitely. That's I think fascinating. He's... What a choice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, we have obviously, since you and me are both rocket brain geniuses, we can uh, know there's four questions left, but we'll parse those out to a little, a uh, little bit later down the road. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about how our reality is vibrational based. Okay, I think it's important for people to grok if they're gonna, if they're uh, and see again. There's a lot of different ways to see reality. But if we're going to try to use scientific language, which people can kind of, you know, at least have some uh, eye to eye on, which is useful, mm-hmm. then you can make things happen. If people can communicate, then, mm-hmm. you know, um, so basically it, it, for, for want of need, it's a cymatic thing. You know, it's a vibrational pattern thing. So it would help if we could train people who are of good, noble virtue. And that means permaculture. That means they understand interdimensional uh in uh what am i trying to say diplomacy Eh? there's one for you interdimensional diplomacy Mm -hmm. and so and i mean that and and i'm not saying i possess these characteristic qualities or skills at the time that we're recording this right 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 but there's obviously uh, you know leveling up to do and so the point being said you know if you have certain skill sets and traits we should train a set of the population like Hogwarts style, but to have good virtue. And yes, yeah, some are going to have the Slytherin angle, but we can contain that and train that to a particular end. Yeah. I mean, is that, uh, yeah. I mean, that's it's not really a yeah. question. I'm just thinking out loud right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think there's a certain amount of responsibility. If you know, if you know something, I I think there was sort of a question on that. And yeah, I, I think um, there is a certain amount of responsibility. And if you're talking like Hogwarts, there's a way to introduce people into these concepts and ideas. You know, my We Died in 2012 series, I stopped it. And it was doing smashingly well in terms of like views and clicks yeah. and buzz. And I stopped it dead in its tracks. And I probably could have had a huge channel by now. But that but sacrifice I, also made you very powerful too, my friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and I now I know years later that a lot of people took notice because I stopped it for the right reasons, because I knew some people weren't ready. So I stopped and I know my channel could have been massive. I mean, I, every video I did was making 10 to 20,000 views, but that's. Oh, yeah. And that's like and you were just starting off like that was starting off. Yeah. That was not just like, hey, guys, I've had, been here for five years. No, no. My second video, uh, you know, it was doing 20,000 views a day. Yeah, that's called uh, killing it. It was killing it. I was, I, you know, it was yeah. just every matrix. And, and it was just, you know, 
somebody wrote me and their, their, his son was in a bad place. And, um, also at the time I had the unfortunate timing that that first release of the first season of 13 reasons. Oh, no. So a lot of, and it didn't that, take place in 2012, did it? Uh, no, no, th- it was about 2012, but th- it came out. Right the, we died in 2012. Yeah. It, but no, no, I, no, I didn't know the 13 reasons was about that though. No, no, it's not. Oh, I, I thought that because that would be way too crazy. No, it's not. It's all right. Good. Like that. that yeah, I'm just saying because that would be a little out of control there. All right. Good. Okay. For some well, reason, sounds like some people made a little sensitive connection. Maybe they were making odd connections between that that we died in 2012. They were also making connections at the time. There was that blue whale thing going around where kids were cutting themselves up. Oh, so you you know what happened? It was it was because you were wearing the Marilyn Manson T-shirt, eating a cheeseburger. Yep, I got it. Yeah, it was it was I was being lumped into this weird category by accident that I did I I wasn't actually even aware of until someone brought it to my attention. So I was like, you know, and somebody reached out to me. That is so weird. Know, some, dude. Yeah, so I stopped. So. oh smq the public (laughs) right they well they just there's a lot of people i didn't want you know i I know i've seen you deal with it live you get in i like the way that you deal with it you're very fair but Mm -hmm. you're you're what i would say um the way that smq handles his live chats is the way that i advocate in general it's the velvet glove over the iron fist Mm -hmm. Yes. Fair, but it's only justice because it has the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I try to be as nice as possible. And, and you know, I learned from the, the We Died in 2012 series. So I learned a lot. So imagine it was a trial by fire. It was awful. It was awful. And by the way, it was, it was actually, I didn't realize the pressure until I ended it that I, I thought ending it was the worst thing ever because I, I knew, you know, you, you get lightning in a bottle maybe once in a lifetime. And I thought I was giving it up. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it up and realized it was such a relief to have that off my shoulders. Cause I, I would wake up every day terrified that somebody would send me a, a note that would be awful or there'd be a knock on my door or it's the archetypes themselves are so powerful because I mean, 2012 had to do with everything ending. It was the cons. It was, it doesn't necessarily mean cause I understand apocalypse is also a revealing and mm-hmm. not necessarily the physical death, which would be like the 13 card in the tarot. It's not even necessarily that in the tarot, but it's also mm-hmm. showing this. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the Frida Harris showing the soul being kind of like, um, up generated or however you say that's that's why i said it like that specific imagery uh but the, the the point is is 2012 was a death thing and then it was also we all died we all died just like sounds like a 9-11-y kind of like titanic-y kind of like um i don't know tornado the 1996 awful film that i really just shouldn't have mentioned but i did and now it's in everyone's head and you're welcome but yeah so i mean like it's kind of got that vibe too it's with like double stacking it at least mm-hmm. you know i mean maybe triple stack and like a cheeseburger which mm-hmm. would be delicious otherwise but we're too dead to eat it burger it was tough man i didn't realize the uh i i had no idea the fire i was playing with and no dude and it's so hard not to, it's so hard not to just be in the moment because you had spooky bear 
you were introduced to the world basically through Spooky Bear, which mm-hmm. I gotta say, archetypally, man, again, just batting. I I I don't want to use like what what you're 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 batting all home runs. This <laughs> is it's it was it was another great catch. I mean, did you make that yourself? Yeah, totally made it up. It's so good. It's really totally like you, you have experience in theater or in nope. um like puppet creation or what's the one like um you know Hollywood makeup effects or something? Nope. It's it's no nope. uh, no idea. It was my first time out. Just just nope, no idea. No what'd no you, idea. What'd you do? Would you you go to a costume store? What would you how'd you do it? I got my best suit and I found a really cool bear mask that I vibed with at uh I think it was not even Target. I think it was Walmart. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, this is it. And I put my best suit on, put the mask on, and grabbed the uh, Madge, the uh, mannequin head, and just started rolling. And then that flipped out people too. So, you know. Amazing. It's so good. I mean, like, it's it's, it's like, um, I don't know. Like, I'm just going to fucking say it. Like, it's like you give me a Banksy vibe. Like you give yeah, me, yeah. A, you give me a really, yeah. The, I, I don't awesome. know if I'm like picking up on what you're putting down, but like, I, I definitely like what you do. I appreciate that. I, that's kind of like I, I've I've used that term before. I'd like that that if I could remain, if I could somehow re- remain anonymous for as long as possible, I I I would prefer that very much. So. Everyone knows your name is Elvis Presley, and uh, cat's out of the bag. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, exactly. Sorry, I I told you I wouldn't do it, but I did. Sorry. Right. Yep. Right. He is he is not dead. He is actually reborn. See, this is the story goes deeper than. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what did I just do? Okay. What just <laughs> we all just fade out of reality. Right. Um, okay. So, are you familiar with the works of Lewis Carroll? Because a big part of my life, uh, obviously, is Alice in Wonderland through The Looking Glass, The Hunting of the Snark. Are you familiar with Lewis Carroll? Oh yeah, the Jabberwocky, the whole thing. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, the one of the books he wrote after that was called "The Hunting of the Snark," and it was about this shipping expedition where all the courtesans, all the members, or whatever of the ship, I just want to use the word courtesans. All the members of the ship were uh, people whose professions began with bees, so they had a bellman and uh, uh, they had a butcher and a barrister so you see how this goes and they even have a beaver okay mm-hmm. so and there's some hostilities between i believe the butcher and the beaver obviously so it's told in like six uh, gosh sextant stanzas i forget but mm-hmm. the whole things about this it turns into this metaphysical quest and even the illustrations are done by henry holiday different than the sir john tenniel mm-hmm. um, alice in wonderland and through the looking glass and what Alice found their fame. And so the guy has this horrifying image of this old man in one of the scenes I want to draw people's attention to. But um, apparently, by the by, I'll just mention, um, there's a version of Alice in Wonderland in a box uh, that I forget who it was, some rich mogul. I, I found this out through the Dark Journalist show. Uh, a rich mogul had a copy of Alice in Wonderland that he kept under lock and key. And I, I, I'm just, the name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, but the point is, is that even if the ship sank, this original Alice in Wonderland 
which you know obviously has no magical properties whatsoever. This original magic, uh, this original Alice in Wonderland would stay afloat and protected from the ravages of the oceans. So basically, um, I'm wondering if you're familiar with the metaphysics of this book called The Hunting of the Snark, this story by Lewis Carroll that came out after Through the Looking Glass. No, no, I'm I'm terribly interested in you. It it sounds it sounds very meta. I mean, very meta. So to tell you the meta is to almost um, kill the story in a way, but it's also the conceit. It's the fatal conceit of the entire uh, series. Hmm. And you can still read the book enjoying it just as much. Okay. Okay. And, and so there's these certain, so they're setting out to hunt a snark. And a snark is a snark, you see. You must understand, SMQ, that a snark is a snark. Got it. I, I get it. Yeah, it's not a fnart. It's a snark. And you have this bellman who is a f kind of um, archetypal um, hermit slash psychopomp of Mercury. I know the hermit is Saturn, but Mercury is also the revealer of the higher truths. And so you have this, um, <clears throat> excuse me. What the fuck was I just talking? I'm gonna have to edit this out. What the fuck was I just trying to explain before I got into Mercury? My head, my my head. You were, you were talking about the uh, Lewis Carroll book. Thank you. It's, it's Hunting of a Snark. I just I completely went into a different place, and I was like, "Well, I was talking about something, mm -hmm. and it just went away." That's all right. And in fact, you're gonna see how that's gonna be extremely meta, because the following happens: these different characters are assembled. The bells, the bellman is kind of like the uh, he rings his bell three times, and what he says three times must be true. And he tells, um, he tells of the tales of all the different B characters and how they come. So he's the narrator, basically, is what I was trying to say before, mm -hmm. brief, right? And he's also, um, he's also the last one to say. So what happens is they go through and they're hunting this snark. The whole purpose of the voyage is they're hunting this creature called a snark. And um, if the snark, the snark itself can come into a few different genii, if you will, a few different varieties. And one of them is this one kind. It's like, okay, well, that's different. You know, it's kind of fruity and weird. And then this other one you get, and it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of intense, but yeah. And then it could possibly be a boojum. And if the snark is a boojum, you will slowly and suddenly vanish away. Okay. And so I won't tell you what happens, but... Okay, I'm liking it. It's fantastic. That sounds awesome. I'm into it. Yeah, so, I'm going to have to read it. Um, There's a version that you can get that I would just highly recommend you jump straight to. I mean, always go to your library if you want to. I always recommend libraries, but like also, you're getting your own version, you're getting your own copy. Um, The one to get is the annotated edition i believe it's martin gardner and it's just a lovely package the design's crisp feels great in the hand the texture it's got all the notes and it. it's got all the extra stuff and the core story of course so you get uh the whole thing and more awesome yeah all right so um, i guess like speaking of which because i like how our questions are like lining up like this what's your favorite book oh god um my favorite book Uh, you mean fiction, nonfiction? Well, well, uh, I'm assuming you mean fiction. 
since we were talking about Lewis Carroll. Um, I've got to think of a book that actually represents all, all the versions of me, just like I had to do with music, because that's not necessarily, never mind the Bullocks isn't necessarily my favorite album right now, but it represents many stages of my life. So I'm going to have to think of a book that would represent all kinds of different things about me. So I would have to say um, probably um, William Burroughs, The Adding Machine, although it's not necessarily a book. What it is is a, a collection of essays. So yeah. William Burroughs, The Adding Machine. Kind of like the way I would say, like if you if you were to have chosen Stephen King's um, Skeleton Crew, mm-hmm. like a like a facsimile. What do you call that? A um, yeah, exactly. A, a mm-hmm. Essays or something. Yeah. Well, very cool. Then um, I'm not actually familiar with that Burroughs one. Yeah, yeah. It's a collection of essays, and inside the essays, he's actually teaching you how to observe things and how to understand. Like the oh, reality around you sounds like a must read like it yes. sounds like a sounds like a robert anton wilson pkd add to that kind of thing it is in that like i said there people will be wigging out about burroughs probably in 50 years from now like they i said crowley once but i think it would probably be like um a, a, a robert a robert anton wilson I bet in about I, I, 50 years combination. He had that intense thing with the 13 year old cousin and the killing with the apples and stuff or whatever. And there is the killing. He has the whole history. He's got all the aspects you need for that kind. Yeah. He's like a Hunter S Thompson, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more, more actually, yeah. I think, but I'm a yeah. fan. So I'm, I'm biased. I mean, like, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that them as a celebrity death match would be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, anyways, yeah, let's, uh, let's. I mean, I understand that the reason I ask these questions so pointedly is you get diamonds out of pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just what we do. Um, I, I enjoy being put into that because I mean, obviously, we all understand that. You know, ultimately, like, it's, it's just an ass. It's, it's fun to hear those things for that reason. Sure. Our brains can comprehend these things too. Mm-hmm. And so the, I guess the, my next question would be, what's the best decade ever? Now I'll ask it like this. Best decade ever. Now, do you mean that I have to have experienced or, or that I experienced or just ever, ever? Okay. Okay. I got you. <laughs> I understand. <laughs>, laughs evilly into the microphone. Well, then I would ha- probably have to say, um, I think probably the 70s then, the, 19, the, the 1970s. Righteous. Yeah. Steely Dan, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. It, it, well, it was the, I think it was the biggest, it was the, the end of that um, 50s, 60s kind of um they were very idealistic and artificial hope. Right. It was artificial. It was idealistic and not, not very realistic. And it was all, it was all coming home to roost in the seventies. And yet out of that came some of the best art, some of the best music, some of the best everything. And it set up the rest. uh, Right now we're still living in its wake more, I think than the sixties, quite frankly. So yes, the seventies, I would say. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all I can just think of is Austin Powers right now, ironically. 
but no, um, I mean, like uh, my father bequeathed to me on one hallowed birthday the first six Led Zeppelin albums on vinyl that were his copies from when he was a kid. Mm. So That's that awesome. was sick. That's awesome. I was still the holy and uh, physical graffiti. It's a toss up for which are my favorite, but um, I'd have to probably land on physical graffiti just because it's just. I mean, how do you not? How do you? How do you not? How do you not? All right, that's my argument right there. That's called. Well, how do you start? You start a decade with you know bands like the Stones and even you know somewhat the Beatles was were ending up, and then you ended with like Sid Vicious. You know what? What a decade to span in terms of music. Tom Waits too. Tom Waits, all that. I mean, it's just your push began in the seventies. Hey, all that. The whole thing was kicked. Susie and the Banshees. The whole thing was kicked off, and it's like the whole thing was massive. The whole decade. Talk to a twin started a little bit later, but they were pretty darn close. And they were probably they were all influenced from the seventies. Anybody in the early eighties was. They were influenced by like, you when know. When did Madonna come about? She, I think she was at her first was 79, but but she was only like, I think she was in a band called The Breakfast Club. And oh. she was, yeah, she was in a band called The Breakfast Club. And I Sounds think she, so MKUltra-ish for no reason whatsoever. Keep going. Mm-hmm. She was in a band called The Breakfast Club and they played uh, places like Max's Kansas City and they played, I believe, even CBGB's. And they, and I think she was in a proto- kind of go-go pop kind of thing and like go-go's as in the band the go-go's yeah yeah right and and she broke off and she did uh her first pop single i think was either 80 or 79 but before that she was in she was in a band called the breakfast club and i believe they were this the late 70s i believe so Mm-hmm. I like this stuff. Yeah, man. Um, I'm still settling on the, uh, so my goal is to become a professional musician. My goal okay. in ritual is listening to six female artists until I become focused enough and vibrating with that reality that it occurs, but also so that I put myself on a womb so mm-hmm. that I feel like completely at home with who I am so that okay. what I channel comes out. So it's most, uh, most ordered and purely i heard a good comment the other day that i think well uh, even though i'm using all female artists and it range from like ranges from old, uh, you know not too old but like the 70s like kate bush or um you know to to bjork to um even um like modern like zola jesus and pharmacon i have a whole range of emotions but it's all female artists and the aim is to put a cocoon around myself with myself as a seventh of course you know sacred seven and when i come out of this is when the only way i'll stop listening to these six artists the only way is when i start professional producing professional grade i almost said magic but i'll say magic but music Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's this is my karma dharma and destiny fate whatever it's the it's the weird experiment that I've entered upon and I'm alchemically alembically putting myself together intentionally as such. I think that's a, that's a noble thing. I think that's, I think that sounds kind of cool actually. I, uh, I, 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 
I think there's something to do with muses and music here going on is the best that I can step stipulate because otherwise it's all my internal narrative and my own subconscious connections. And, you know, it's, it's like trying to share too many synchronous uh, you and I, and anyone can appreciate a fine red wine of a one, 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 but sometimes mm-hmm. synchronicities are just more like, you know, you need to go on your own vision quest kind of thing, right? We all have mm-hmm. a responsibility to our own divine connection in that manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe some, some, you know, something I could throw out too is, uh, besides the music too, maybe listen to some of their, um, like, listen to them as a, as people, like, like if you can find magazine articles, with, it's like, like, you know, like in the Pixies, I know like Kim Deal, she wanted to sing more and she wasn't, she couldn't, and she wasn't, you know, she she could have had more hits, so that's why she had to go out to the breeders, and that way, you know, she had a lot of hits like, um, obviously Cannonball with Divine Hammer, and you know, all kinds of other songs. So that's you know, point. Mm-hmm. so you can you know get pick up that point of view, then you can maybe understand the music a little bit better. At least, I mean, you know, when I think of like Kim Deal or Kelly Deal, the Deal sisters. You know, I knew their history in terms of being blocked by their bands. And then when you hear the songs, it makes it more um, meaningful. It's so really I- intense to hear that because I'm actually like, it's so funny you bring that up because I'm and you said like when you listen to some of these people, it's like I was thinking about reading articles of Kate Bush and watching the Kate Bush documentary running up that hill. I think I just watched it. But to your point, I'm actually listening to the Pixies podcast as one of the podcasts I'm listening to right now. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in the episode I'm listening to is the second to most recent at this current time in the uh, late July 2019. And uh, even though one just came out, the one I'm listening to is talking about some kind of like, you know, being understanding of other people's creative freedom. So it sounds like there's like a lot of subtext to like the history and, you know, exactly. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's an excellent podcast. I cannot highly recommend and people, artists, creative people out there. Uh, just interesting people out there. If you're cool, uh, listen to the Pixies podcast, the mini saga that it will be leading up to the release of their album two weeks after Tool, about a, what, a half moon cycle. It's going to be uh, September 13th. They're going to release Beneath the Eerie, which was recorded in the Catskills, New York, in some old cool wooden church area, church thing, sacred church. And, uh, you know, if you if you pre-order it, you get a, a bonus disc with the... Uh, uh, the demos and the uh, a few of them you'll hear in the podcast are like contextually more meaningful uh, if you listen to the because it's a podcast about the creation of the album it's a creative process it's unedited it's unvarnished some of the stuff you hear in there it's real revelatory I think so uh, I, I, I obviously it's very cool that you brought up Kim and Kelly Deal uh, obviously uh, the Pixies are a huge band that I was listening to right actually I listened to their entire catalog and then I jumped into this women-only music womb. And mm-hmm. I found myself, I want to listen to stuff. I'll find myself wanting to listen to the stupidest stuff and like the coolest stuff. But like also, like I'll go to play some Miles Davis. Or I'll go to play some Mogwai. Or I'll go to play something quickly. And I'm like, oh shit, I can't listen to this. Mm-hmm. I have to turn it off. It's not like I'm perfect. But like I catch myself. I'm like, oh, did not. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um, you know, I also think who's she's more contemporary, but I think um, Amy Winehouse is very appealing too. So interesting. I still have one more to fill the docket. 
and I was considering Madonna. Yeah, Madonna. She uh, she was able to go in about, from what I counted, maybe five phases. She, you know, five. In in terms of like when she was at her peak creativity, I'd say it was maybe five phases or so. I think maybe more. Uh, and if you consider like the pre-Madonna and not pre-Madonna, but pre-Madonna, like <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. If you consider like the Breakfast Club and her running around in the proto-punk or pre-punk kind of thing, or um, then yeah, maybe six, six phases perhaps with Madonna. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want that kind of uh, that that kind of influence, um, it's less rock, but I can definitely understand where you're coming from. You so I was just gonna say you so understand. Um, you do you have you absolutely do. It's a uh, very very um, refreshing. Uh, and and yes, man, I think it's a lot of different things because if you're only going to listen to six, you need to have like in, but you're allowed to listen to like all their, their, their projects, mm-hmm. then, um, you know, then you want someone who has a lot of at least, you know, good stuff that you can actually listen to and dig into because this is not like an instantaneous pro it, anything instantaneous like this would be like the body would be shaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Madonna, why she'd fit in is probably, I don't know the other artists you've picked, but. Oh, sure. I can name them. It sounds good with like, sure. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and then I'll name them afterwards. Well, I mean, with Madonna, she seems to be um, uh, a different vibe in terms she didn't. She was um, very um, successful immediately and, and was able to really rule the world in her world and then but then you contrast that with like a, a kim deal who had an up, uphill battle for her creativity so you take the two and you get a real meaningful difference between the career um and you're like wow not only you have the rock career versus the pop but madonna immediately had this this instant immediate success and she was you know, at least from the outward appearance, she was able to move um, untouched and unscathed in a lot of ways versus Kim. You know, my impression is she was stifled right away immediately and she had to go out on her own in order to get that. And by that point, yeah, you know, it was just a different thing. So Charles Charles is an intense personality. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, just listen to Tame. And then imagine that voice shouting down your biggest hopes and dreams because you're part of this awesome project. Mm-hmm. I can imagine there could be a lot of hurt there. And I know that um, it would be easy for people to say, well, look at her, you know, her habit at the time. And like, maybe she was like married and had an awkward relationship because she wasn't even named in the first EP. Right. She was mm-hmm. Miss John Murphy. So like, you could see how like there's different levels of chaos and so someone like Madonna, maybe she has a better star chart. She also is very strangely aware of her DNA and leaving things around like that. So she like takes, she has an entirely different story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. And as I, I hope I've humanized both of them enough to say that they're both valid. It's just like, it's, it's like for the artists that I'm looking for to put into my pokemon ball set because you know or my mojo is what i was going to say but i think about how there's six and anyway so into into my alchemical mix into my blood if you will into my musical blood and it's 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 women only for a reason 
it's not Radiohead, Tool, Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, you know, The Doors and Hendrix, which I could easily do or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's intentionally injecting this because there's something pure about that divine essence, even if it's talking about whatever topic, you know, trysts, whatever, you know, um, it's something that I need to break through paralyzing. I'm going to say parallax of a paradox that's within me. And once I break through that, I will be resonating as this new creature, if you will. A man of light is what I'm tempted to say, but we'll say I will become what I need to become for the next period of my life. We're talking about phases of life. It's a stage of evolution. It's a period on the spiral upward. And I think that's important. I want to add later about what you were talking about. You're either doing the good or the bad. There's either spiraling up or spiraling down. Spiraling this way is usually only like that, and then it's back up or whatever again. But, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't mean to um, hog the mic any further than that, but th- that's what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. The doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, did that make any sense actually though? Yeah, you made a lot of sense, sure, of course. I'm gonna make sure. Um Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for you to ask me a question. Oh uh, I I guess more like what's your response to all of that? Because I felt like I kind of like started to sound like I like had addressed a point when I was were trying to ask a question. Um so but what's your impression on that, if I could just beg your indulgence? I think it's um I think it's an interesting approach. I don't, I've never heard anyone trying to take an approach like that. So I think it would be, um, I would be interested to see with what you come up with, with that, because I sincerely have never ever heard anyone take an approach to any art form that way, let alone music. Um, and I think it would be, you know, recognizing that you're, um, there's no way that you could really understand and yet to try to um, sort of walk in someone else's shoes is, and, and you do it with um, sincerity is, is, is noble. Definitely. And I think that when you, you cross that over with art, I think it becomes something that is potentially really powerful. And then if you can take eclectic, um, you know, stories like we were talking about between these different artists that are having ter- terribly different stories, just uh, they might as well be from different planets, then yeah, you might have something really, um, really interesting there, especially if you can somehow weave all that together. Yeah, that would be kind of cool to see if you can pull that off. It's a magical act in the sense too that my girlfriend's birthday is the same day as Liz Frazier's and this gets into all this other stuff. But like, of course I've decided uh, for Cocteau twins and this more recoil to be one of the, so it's all things Liz Frazier. It's all, I, I told you, I would tell you it's a uh, Pharmacon. It's Zola Jesus. It's Kate Bush, it's Liz Frazier. So there's four so far. Uh, we also have Bjork is my, is my uh, uh, fifth choice, and those are the solid. And then I'm thinking Madonna is going to be my sixth shot. You know, that's what I'm saying. My uh, 
my my six Pokemon or my sixth Alembic vessel poured into mine? I think the Madonna one is a good choice. Um, Isn't it? Because it's very, um, very different from the others in a good way. I feel like it fits well with. Yeah, I feel. I mean, Pharmacon, if you've listened to her, is extremely. It's it's like um lightning bolt scathing intense, and I mean the band lightning bolts or mm-hmm. on fire or something like even um like uh, I want to say Captain Beefheart, but like if if Captain Beefheart and God bless Dick Van Vliet, but you know if if Captain Beefheart were getting electrocuted in a bathtub with a toaster while yodeling with a Swedish fish stuck in his throat and you know maybe uh amplified through Pompeii's, you know, entire echoing stadium. That's a bit of like Pharmacon. It's, it's intense shit. But um, yeah, and then Zola Jesus is this, it's, it's more like she's like crossover between Bjork and Pharmacon, mm-hmm. which I like to Kate Bush. And then you go over to the, um, you know, I think Madonna would just be kind of like the pristine kind of like the really clean, preppy, prissy but also art and weird kind of uh the necessary angle to come at you know what i mean yeah because i i think madonna was able to um i think she was very much a chameleon and that she could um change to the environment and she could change before the environment to influence the environment i think madonna was incredibly powerful in terms of um her dynamics and just music was um very um just it 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 sounds like she was part of the 80s but people don't understand i think she like created part of like the feel and the sound of the 80s she wasn't she didn't take part in it she helped create it which is oh, very yeah. different i would say that the same for uh kate bush uh mm-hmm. and, uh, absolutely um and i mean like i was talking with someone on the six of cups last uh last show how they didn't like Kate Bush at all. They didn't like Bjork at all. They probably might like Madonna, but you know, but it's like it go that what I'm saying here addresses my larger point. You know, I feel like, and without sounding like, Oh God, Oh, may all virtue signalers be league of all, you know, but um, what I'm trying to say is I really do feel like from where I experienced the world, I would like to see women artists and because I am a musician and I'm using music in this, in this framework, it is most fitting and appropriate to say, I would like to see certain musical artists have a bigger impact and I intend to have a damn fine impact. And so if where I'm coming from comes from this like understanding of self, then the self that's making that art is going to be really it's it, it, I, I've got like certain things I do to structure myself, but it's going to like what I'm structuring is going to be so pure and so fianic that the art that I make, and I want to get back around to how I was saying there's this good uh, joke I saw made about how it sounded like some long psychedelic thing was playing. And, um, but it wasn't, um, I got this from an article by the Saker. It says uh, this, um, t- this uh, band was playing, it was these long noodling jams, so uh, that didn't seem to go anywhere. So it must not have been Pink Floyd. It must have been the Grateful Dead. And I like that joke that the the observant writer made. And I thought to myself, well, be like Pink Floyd, and you know, do your intensity, but find a way to make it so it has a cutoff point too. So it's like what you did with Spooky Bear. Mm. 
Yeah, man. Like you want to know what card I just drew, by the way, from the tarot here when I was saying all that? What's that? You want to take a guess? I do not. You do not? Mm-mm. Oh. Go ahead. I will tell you. It is the death card. It's change, huh? That's the last one I talked about, right? Mm-hmm. I would accept this card as a good omen or the art, the 14. Those are both good. I'm glad to say it was not the 15. Not that I have any problem with that in the sense that most people might, but that's a sign of like de- uh, deception, trouble, uh, caught in the weeds, morass, kudzu, uh, BS. So I'm glad to see the death card as I'm talking about getting into my cocoon and changing, you know? Very good. That's awesome. As it were, I have another question for my friend here because we're going to wind up in a little bit. Which famous person would you most like to, or it says, which famous, yeah, would you most like to meet? I'd like to meet. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a great, great question. Um, what famous person that I would most like to meet? Um, Probably, um, I guess Jesus. Legit. Totally legit. Wicked legit. Yeah, you could could instantly, you know, cut Western civilization in half right there. Boom. Yes or no, you have your answer. So, yeah, Jesus. Absolutely. Pretty powerful. Uh, I I like how you're... um, your ability to like take the immensity of the meaning you're like 50 percent of the population bro i'm like at least 33 percent yeah no and i'm agreeing with you is what i'm saying like a huge swath of people would be affected by that but then you'd be like you know that there would be like well anyways that's intense so it good for me though right I'd, I'd do it i would do it strictly for me but i would tell people they could listen if they wanted to or not but true true yeah. true Absolutely. And Jeez. let's see, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, this is a great place to lead. I, you'll see why right here. What do you want? What do you want everyone to know if you could have them understand one thing? If I could have them understand one thing? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, and that's also a lucky question number six, of course. I th- what I would like them to understand would probably one thing I'd like people to understand is that um, it it doesn't matter what um, the person intended, who was either the artist or the writer or the person who wrote. It doesn't matter what they actually intended. It, it what matters is what um, what they left behind, what it did. You know, their intentions do not matter. That's what I would love for people. They don't understand that, it seems. And they always try to get in the mind of the person and the biography of why they did it. And it doesn't matter because you're, if you get that, you know, you're so busy being wrapped up in trying to find out the why, you, you're, not, you're not seeing what's left behind and what you have to deal with. And I think that's a lot of ways. There's that, that's one of the many ways that people... Um, they waste time in order to um, burn out most of their lives so they don't do anything significant. 
think it's an excellent point. I think that's uh, it's well met. You need to have a realization that we can only know so much in this reality. Mm-hmm. And knowing is only a part of the reality. They say that knowing is half the battle because there's other parts of it. Now, why it has to be a battle, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Venus myself. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Venusian and the mercurial energy. So uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to get into before we go, um, because at this phase in my life, just as people listen to the show, uh, I has a girlfriend that needs her molder. My scully needs to... uh, we need to solve it. We're actually watching uh, the episode Paper Hearts tonight. Okay. This is fourth season episode. And, uh, man, third, fourth season X-Files, man, even second, first. Oh, so dear to my heart. In fact, uh, before we watched, uh, before we got on tonight, I watched the, I watched the uh, season 11 episode four um, show called uh, The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat, which is all about the Mandela effect, of course. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, go ahead. No, 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 please, please. It's all you. No, uh, before we wrap up, you were going to do my chart or something? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, uh, okay, now, we're, we're, we've been doing so well so far, so let's make sure that my computer keeps uh, going along. Yeah, feel free to donate, people. I usually limit to donate uh, talkity talk to the uh, what I call the intro and the mid-tro. Uh, uh, the outro and stuff like that. And, you know, it's always a cult fan at uh, PayPal is how that works. And yes, it, it does feel like that to do this sometimes, but uh, you know, Hey, I didn't make the rules. I'm just playing the game like y'all. So you're enjoying this. So donate to six of swords, just blood, money, whatever you want. Uh, preferably money. Actually don't, don't send me blood, but um, anyways, and no virgin sacrifices. I had to turn that last one away. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I know, right? I'm, I'm actually filling time while I try to find your chart. And I can always edit this out, but it's my show. And knowing me, I'm probably not going to. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to have to say I took a picture of it. And boom, baby, there it is. So, my friend, um, you are, all your details are, of course, private to you. But um, I will say the, the zodiac signs and such. Uh, okay. And uh, you are a Libra. So just for the audience, and if, it hardly goes with exp- needing for this audience, but in the off case, I have some other people coming in because I, I attract like a wide swath of different types. So thank you for bearing guys who are my chaos and magic types. Okay. So moving forward, I'm <clears throat> getting the signal to move forward. Um, the idea is that uh, there are, what, 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 what am I? The, the, the rising sign in your sun sign and your moon sign are of primary importance to just kind of like the, the, the brief introduction to the Zodiac stuff right now. Like for the more, uh, for the less not advanced, however, we're going to say it. So uh, SMQ has a Libra rising sign. He in fact has two of three of the beginning ones in there, but he is a third decan Aries, so y'all got almost an Aries cusp with the Taurus, but instead of any of that Aries Taurus sun stuff, you're an Aries sun, and so you're also a Libra moon. So you go masculine, 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 air, fire, air. You go Libra rising, Aries sun, Libra moon. So that's just the basic uh, intro stuff. Uh, a lot of people like to talk about Mercury too, and your Mercury 
seems to be, if I can zoom in here, where the heck did, yeah, there he is. All right. Your Mercury is well aspected, it seems, at least as far as not being combust. Uh, Mercury, when it's too close to the sun, or any planet when it's too close to the sun, often has trouble expressing itself because the power of the sun often takes over the, uh, the, the visual aspect or the, um, the appearing of that in your life aspect. Uh, that can be one way that's interpreted. And your Mercury, your ability to communicate is in no way uh, combust by your sun, meaning it's not within eight degrees. But yeah, that's a, that's a few quick brief overviews about your chart there. Your sun and your Venus are conjunct, meaning they're almost right at the same degree. They're both in Aries, just like your Mercury, but they're way at the other end of Aries, way closer to Taurus. And uh, one, yeah, so anyways, they're, ver they're very close. Uh, you have a lot of planets in the house of uh, sex, death, and the occult. That would, in fact, be... Um, I'm sorry, let me make sure I'm doing that right. No, it is it's lined up oddly. Uh, what do you have there? In the eighth house, you don't really have anything in the eighth house then, right? Yes, the seven. Yeah, they're all in the seventh house. You have a lot in your house of partnerships. They're deceptively close to the eighth house, so I had to double check what I was looking at. But anyways, the people listening to this are going to be like, oh my God, they're talking about these things. So, that, that, But yeah, that's a brief introduction to what you got going on as far as what that means. Um, you know, Austin Coffee's great, but uh, his line is long, so you might find somewhere else to go. Hello? Yeah, you know, I'm here. I'm here. I was just, um, so I, I don't know what a lot of that means, what you just told me. Um, your rising sign is the one that embodies like the most of your characteristics and qualities. Your sun is what most people will see you as right after their immediate impression of you. And the moon's what you kind of would say is your internal landscape, your subconscious aspects, or who you are inside even. Uh, like as the moon would be the hidden for the sun being the external, right? Mm -hmm. So um, your moon your internal landscape, you probably really, I mean, like, uh, like people, t people can tell how gentle you are. It's, it's pretty obvious. Like, like, even though like you're able to project yourself and really make yourself heard, like you're still gentle inside. You're not, you're, you, I mean, you, what I mean by that is you're fair. It, like I said, with Libra, it has a blade. It's not justice without the blade. That aspect's there, but it's basically your internal landscape is going to be, also, uh, interestingly, because that's your first house, um, that's a largely prominent part of your life. Like a large part of your life story and who you are is about your internal landscape and keeping a balance. Mm. Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. That sounds that's good. Super amateur. And I'm sure if like a, a pro astrologer heard that, and they're like, dude, this is why it's dangerous to get a little bit of knowledge when you need all of it to make sense of things. So I might have just handed you some shit sandwich or I might have given you a little glimmer of gold. Uh, this is not a legal medical or, um, existential advice. I understand. Yeah, I, know, I know you do. I'm just, mm -hmm. now I'm just joshing, but, um, yeah. Do you want to, um, tell people what, um, projects you're working on before we run out and, uh, do our things for the evenings? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, just steadily working on the channel. Um, and, and we're just as a team, we're all working together towards, um, you know, the one big project we'd like to. Uh, get together is is a web page right now 
and I mean a really good web page that has a library, an ongoing chat, different things like that. So that would be the immediate thing that we want to start concentrating on as a team. So that would be the biggest thing. But we're always looking for good research, always looking for good information, and trying to kind of work that into what we we already know and what we have. So that's pretty much it. And of course, this uh, the topic that we're talking about is the Mandela effect, right? Uh, anything dealing with the human interface to the reality. So the Just Mandela effects, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the, but the Mandela effects a big part of that. Correct. Do we have uh, a link that you could uh, just uh, give a shout out to? Yeah, yeah. You can go. Uh, Twitter is the the fastest way to get a hold of me, and that's at, at AI underscore SMQ, and that's the quickest way to get me. Um, and then also you can go on YouTube and just it's SMQ space AI. And then usually if it's, you don't find it, you'll, you'll usually find that, but if not, you can do SMQ space AI and then Mandela effect. And you'll certainly find me. Very true. And uh, we'll, we'll end this with a last kind of nostalgic bit of reverie here. Okay. Uh, you and I both appeared on a culture uh, pretty much side by side back in 2017, I believe. Very cool. Did that's awesome. That? No, no, I did not. That's awesome. I, that's a great show. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you and I were right in the same ballpark. Like it was the same time zone. But anyways, I found that it, I've always found that interesting, and I'm glad I got to mention it with you and me together now. So yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, man. Absolutely. We should do this again too. I, you are. Yeah, we. Um, yes, that's happening. Well, all right. Thank you so much for listening to Six of Swords, Episode 9 with SMQAI, or as I like to say, AISMQ. Or I'm always getting it this way or that, but I guess uh, in the end, we'll see if it doesn't get Mandela affected. And this whole time, I was talking with a lovely gentleman whose real name was Rumpelstiltskin. You know how it goes. So, before we all end up at the Spotnet Sanitarium, thank you so much for listening. Uh, keep an eye out for the upcoming new show in leo 2 for those on the ball and for those who are hearing this this was the clarion call that the new show is coming so thank you so much for listening and everyone uh cheers